I'm going to be talking the next couple of weeks on the Psalms of Ascent. Now these are a collection of Psalms in the book of Psalms and they begin at Psalm 120 and they go through to 135 and they are absolutely brilliant. They really are. And they are Psalms, no one really knows who put them together and it could have been in the time of the exile, 70 years in exile, or it could have been David in Solomon's reign in that time, that period, not quite sure. David is titled as writing some of them, penning some of them, and I'm sure he did. However, these are not psalms to read. These are psalms to sing. Now, we all know the Boney M one by the rivers of Babylon. And in fact, they were at Western Supermare a few weeks ago singing that very song. They made a fortune out of that psalm. I bet not one of them know what it means. But it's a brilliant psalm, and it's in the Psalms of Ascent. Now, so, what was the purpose for these psalms? These psalms were collected together and used for a very specific time in the history of Israel. And this was when the Jews in the land of Palestine, under God's direction, three times a year, went up to the great temple and city in Jerusalem. And it was really above a hill, a very high hill, about 2,500 uh, feet high, built on there, surrounded by other hills and mountains. So it was kind of a bit like Cheddar. But there was Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was won by David a long time before. And it was a small city then. But he wouldn't have realized, or would he prophetically have realized, that this was going to be the center of worship, that this was going to be a byword for our future life in heaven, a new Jerusalem? Was it going to be the center of the nation? Was it going to be the identity of the Jewish nation? Jerusalem was. Three times a year, they were commanded to go, all the men, up, out of their lands, and up the mountain, up the huge hill, up to Jerusalem. Has anybody seen Jerusalem? Has anybody been there? And have you seen it when it's glistening in the sun? It is because it's, it's kind of white, isn't it? White stone. And when the sun's shining on it, it's, it's amazing. It's like nothing you've ever seen before. It glistens in the sun. And uh, from a distance, it's a wonderful view. Well, they were coming from foreign lands on the plains, and it was foreign because there's idolatry and paganism. They were incredible. It was a godless society down there on the plains. And the Jewish nation were living down there on the plains with other nations, ungodly nations, totally opposite to how the Jews wanted to live, their structure, their beliefs, completely different. And so we have, preceding the psalm I'm going to talk about this morning, we have Psalm 120, and it said, I call on the Lord in my distress. And what it is this, it's the whole, remember it's a song, but the whole of Israel living on the plains and out in the desert and with other nations, they were in distress. And that word distress means a hemmed in, closed in space. So spiritually, they were living in a hemmed in, closed in space. They were in a foreign land, foreign culture, foreign language, foreign 
principles. They didn't feel at home in the land that they were living in. There's the message for us. It's a reason to ascend higher. The message for us is we have distressful times. We're living in a distressful time right now. I mean, you can't watch the news. I'm so tired of watching the news. I could repeat it to them. You know, about the virus. It's just from beginning to end the virus, which is spreading fear. And it's important we kept informed, but it's bringing a lot of distress. We've all suffered distress. What do we do when we're going through a period of distress? Because here's a clue. It says... I call on the Lord in my distress. But generally what we do as people is when we're in distress, the last person we go to is seriously is God. We go to one another, we go to our neighbours, we go to our family members, we go to ourselves, we do everything, we moan and we groan and we, you know, it, it, we all become distressed and we show that distress, we're in distress. The one thing to do in distress is to go beyond it, to go on a journey away from it and go higher than the situation. And the Jewish nation were called to go higher than the land that they were living in and go to the mountain of God and up to Jerusalem. And this they did. So the Psalms, these 15 Psalms, are about what? A big journey. Big journey for you. Jim, it's not that bad yet. You don't have to go yet. It's, it's a big journey for Israel. And personalizing it, this life is a big journey for me. It was a big mountain climb. Secondly, these Psalms, 15 Psalms, are about a nation, number one. Secondly, they're about me, they're about us, and they're about now, they're about our aspirations and our destinations. And our destination is paramount. Where are we going in life? Where were the Jews told to go in life when they were in distress? What is our destination? And the Bible says quite clearly that our destination is heaven. And it's the one place we know the least about. Because only a few, well, if any, have ever come back to tell us what it's like. And teaching on heaven is so Spartan. I mean, I remember years ago, there was a lot of teaching on heaven. But today, there isn't. And actually, books about heaven, thin on the ground. In my theological books, there's about a page on heaven. But actually, the Bible talks about heaven a lot. For instance, what is going to happen when I die? And I'm getting to that age when I need to think about it. What it I've actually started looking at funeral plans. I've got one on my table right now, a co-op funeral plan. Am I going to buy it? Am I not? And I'm thinking, what a strange decision this is. What's going to happen to me when I die? Is my soul going to leave my body? My soul belongs to God. I know that. But it will leave my body. Where will my body go? Well, my body will go to the ground. But where will my soul actually go? Well, my soul is going to go to heaven or will it go to paradise? If it goes to paradise, is, are all spirits that are fast asleep? 
until the return of Christ? Or is that a genuine place, a real place, where we are fully alive? My mum and dad, are they in paradise now, waiting for heaven? And are they fully alive and fully operational and are all limits off, are doors opened, and here is a foreign land compared to the Jerusalem up there? God's place, where God dwells. What is that like? Will I know my wife when I get to heaven? Will I still be married when I get to heaven? Will my grandchildren, when they get to heaven, be the same age as they are now? Will I see them grow up in heaven? Will they be male and female in heaven? What is this place called paradise? It's phenomenal. And in a few weeks, I'm going to do a Wednesday night when I'm going to talk about, what's the title of my talk, Jim? The Theory of All Things. I think I'm going to talk the theory of all things. I think I'm going to talk about heaven and the second coming. And it's amazing what the Bible has to say. And some of these questions. Any animals in heaven? Any pets in heaven? Is there sex in heaven? Big questions. Will there be trees there? Will there be mountains there? Wherever it is, it is your destination if you're born again of the Spirit of God. The destination for the Jews to take their mind off and give focus to their lives was to go up the mountain and go higher and go to Jerusalem, the city of God, and the temple where the presence of God was. It's a love story. It talks about praise, worship, heartache, overcoming. I'm afraid of heights, which is, and I've always been afraid of heights all my life for some strange reason. And being afraid of heights is quite uncomfortable, really, because if I go and put my head out of the window at home, the upstairs window, I get afraid of heights. If I go up, and I used to go up Cabot's Tower in Bristol, and get up there, and I'm scared. I'm scared. And if I go on a skyscraper, I'm scared. If I go up the lifts, right up high in, in somebody's flat and look out of the window and I look over, I'm scared. What am I scared of? Why am I afraid of heights? The reason I'm afraid of heights is something totally irrational. I think I'm going to jump. It's odd. I just have that thing that I'm going to jump, I'm going to fly. It's like I've got this thing about flying. I'd like to fly without an aeroplane. And I, I got this, this kind of jump. Go on, give it a go. Give it a go. So I've actually got within me this fear of heights, but actually I love aeroplanes, which is weird. It's totally weird. But what I like about aeroplanes is they're sleek and slender, and I like to go to the museum down in Yeovil and run my hands along the, you know, the airplanes. Wonderful design. Absolutely brilliant. When I was a student in London, or just outside of London, at the Bible College, it was my job to go into the airport <coughs> to collect foreign students to bring them into college. And I used to love that, because up to that point, 22 years of age, I'd never been to an airport in my life. 
I'd never flown. But to see all these people coming in through the gates, greeting one another, foreign languages, people from all around the world, cultures meeting, and folk, folk greeting them, the excitement of the moment. I used to love it. And so I used to get there really early and just sit in the airport and watch it all and soak it all up. Brilliant. They've had a great adventure. Now, aeroplanes to me mean distant horizons, adventures, laughter, fun, holidays, vacation. Brilliant. It's away from here. It's somewhere else. It's just great, that. But actually, aeroplanes are just a lump of metal. Plastic. Huge amount of glass. Instrumentation. That's all it is. And it shouldn't lift off the ground. Do you know, scientists are amazed by the bumblebee. The bumblebee should not fly. Because it's got little wings and a big body. And there's no science that has actually been able to understand why the bumblebee flies. To me, I don't know why aeroplanes fly. It's ridiculous. They're not designed to fly, really. Except for the designers... And the engineers know full well aerodynamics and how it will fly. But to me, how does iron get off the floor? But it does. And they tell me that I can't fly. I'm just a lump of flesh and blood and bone. And how can I aspire to something greater and higher and bigger and further away than ever before? How can I ascend beyond myself? They say no, but my designer says yes. I've designed you, Claude, to fly. I was, envy, jealousy, I was invited to the inaugurating flight of the Concorde. Yes, the very first flight of the Concorde for this country was out of Bristol, Filton. And I had a friend who worked on the Concorde, and he was the accountant that worked on the Concorde. And they invited me and Sue to stand on the runway at Filton Airport with hundreds of others and wait for the Concorde as it came out of the hangar to fire up and come down the runway. And as it came down the runway, I could hear the roar of the engines as it pulled back the throttle. It was incredible. Now, I used to be in the motor trade, so I understand engines. But I tell you, these Rolls-Royce engines are something different. The roar of it was phenomenal. And it roared past me, this wonderful, white, sleek aeroplane, the design of it you've never, never imagined possible. And then it just lifted off as it got past me and took off. And then as it went into the clouds, it went silent. And everybody's clapping, hooting and shouting. The impossible happened. They flew. Israel is wanting to fly. The Jewish nation is wanting to take off. The Jewish nation is wanting here in a foreign monster, foreign land. They want to worship God. Worshiping God is taking off. They wanted to get near God and not only worship Him, they want to experience the living God. He was the center of their life. He was the center of their nation. He was their reason for being. Isn't that us?
something within us all that wants to ascend. Right, one Psalm 1. And next week, I'll do one Psalm 2. Here it is, one, two, one. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Imagine them singing this. We're talking thousands, not millions of people, all on a pilgrimage. And the word here is pilgrimage because our life is a pilgrimage. It is a walk. My son has just done a 500-mile walk through France and to Spain by himself. And on that walk, he was meeting people. It's ridiculous, I know. He was meeting people he'd never met before, but they're all his, they're his lifelong friends now. They bonded because they're all on the same walk. They walked, they pilgrimed to the mountain, to the base of this mountain. And as they pilgrimed to the base of this mountain, they gathered together and they now are looking at a new vista. The hard bit has almost been accomplished, they think. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, who who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. I know there's a quiet hallelujah there. <laughs> there's a ripple of a hallelujah there then. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. What a privileged position. This is the God you know. This is the Jesus that saved you and called you to be part of his family. And the great thing about this, on this walk, on this pilgrimage, as they sang these great songs, they were walking together. The Christian walk is a one-on-one, -on -one, me and God, but it's a we and God. And they were looking left and they were looking right. They were looking out for one another. That is community. And in this virus scare, this morning they're talking about us living as a community again. We've forgotten how to live as a community, to look out for one another. Where should that begin but in the church? We are a community looking out for one another's spiritual welfare. Ask me what politics, how I stand politically, am I Labour, am I Conservative, am I... There's some others I know, I can't remember their names. And I might say, that's my business. Christianity isn't just your business. It's everybody's. And we look out for one another. And all this thing about mentoring, and this thing about coaching, and so on. We're all mentors. We're all coaches of one another. We're on this pilgrimage... And if Richard is walking 500 miles and there's somebody with him in the group that's stumbling, the group stops for a moment. And they help the person stumbling. And they try their best to get that person up and carry on. 
But so long as they're in traction and they're moving from A to B to C, they're on a journey. They're on a pilgrimage. This life is pilgrimage. Don't stop walking. Keep walking. And hear this. That walk is higher. It is not on a plane. We are going higher. My ambition is to go higher. See, I've been married, Sue, when, when, were you and your, when did you and your mum ask if I'd marry her? What was that? What was that then? 50 years ago. Right. Because Sue's mum asked me to. I married Sue 50 years ago. I'm telling you, 50, you'd think we got it nailed. We have not got it nailed yet. We are still working on it. We still discuss our marriage. I'm still learning how to be grateful and polite and say thank yous. I'm still learning all this stuff. God said to me uh, years ago, when I'm struggling to find some kind of anointing for my ministry, and I think, you know, which congregation, how am I? And God says, I will do it for you. As you are with your wife, so I will be with you. And I'm st- we're still working on it. Hey, it's not failure that we're still working, going higher with God. It's our ambition to go higher and higher, and it'd be warmer, more challenging, intimacy greater, walking higher with God. I don't just want to be a Christian. I want to be a vibrant Christian. I just don't want to come and hear about God on a Sunday morning. I want God to talk to me. The last breath, well, not the last breath, but before I start snoring at night and when I wake up in the morning, I want God to be with me all the time because he is, but I want to know that he is. I want that kind of communion that's getting richer and more glorious and more beautiful. And I want my life in the church of Jesus Christ to be just the same. I mean, this church, just the same. This is not a visitor center. This is a nation on a pilgrimage going higher together. So they've left distress behind. Now they're on the first steps, the bottom of this great big mountain. Jerusalem in the sight, they must say, dear Lord, we're here. We are here. This is amazing. Just, could we just stop here for a few minutes and just admire this glorious, glorious view in front of us? Very excited looking up. And there's an inner drawing which says, don't stop here, go higher. Don't stop here, go up. Go up the mountain, step by step, all together. And so as the individual, the writer of this psalm, and the whole nation are singing this song. Incidentally, if you can imagine, when I was, when I was a lad, does it, has anybody been pee-picking? Does anybody know what I mean when I say pee-picking? Tony, you're a star. You've been pee-picking. You know what potato-picking is, don't you? In potato fields. Well, we as a family uh, come from a... Did I ever tell you that I come from a poor family? I come from a poor family... 
and for that extra money, my mum and dad would take us pea picking into the pea fields of Yorkshire, picking the peas, the pods of peas, putting them in sacks, the sacks being weighed, and then we get paid for the sack. And a farmer would come round every day in the pea picking time of year and drive his flatbed wagging around and we'd all jump on that flatbed wagon. That'd be mums and dads, grands and grandmas, if they were able, children certainly, families would just fill the wagons and the wagon would drive off into the country to the pea field. And I have memories of it, sat eating the peas. I mean, my mum, will you stop eating the peas? Put them in the sack. Just sat eating peas. But it was great fun as well. And there were rows and rows of people in the pea field. And somebody would start a song. And the song would just travel down the lines until the whole pea field are singing a Beatles song or something. We're all singing together. And as we're singing for the rhythm of we pick the piece, so we're singing the song. That's how it was. And here they are facing this challenge, going up the mountainside. For you, for the writer, for the nation. And you can't climb the mountain of God like you drive cars. Driving cars is your brain is somewhere else usually. And you're driving an autopilot. You don't live your Christian life on autopilot. I'm an advanced driver because it took me two years to do my advanced driving test after I'd been in a major accident. And then I decided to do it for motorbike and did another two years to become an advanced motorbike. So I'm double advanced. It was only a few days ago I was in Bridgewater coming to a roundabout, and I'm talking to my wife about what I'm going to be preaching about this morning. And around the roundabout, I'm heading to it, around this roundabout comes a lovely white Mercedes. And this is a woman turning right. So she's coming here, and I've just arrived. And I just see the corner of my eye, while I'm talking about this, I see this beautiful white Mercedes. And I love white Mercedes. I just want a white Mercedes. It was a white Mercedes convertible. I want a white Mercedes convertible. I do, I do. Don't look at me like that. It looks a bit like the Concorde. I want one. When in fact, while all this is going through my brain, tick, 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 I drive straight across in front of her. And she's feet away from me. She slams on her brakes and she lifts her hands and does this. So I don't know what to do because I'm looking eye to eye now. And so I go back. Why did I do that as a drive away? And it doesn't matter how much theology we've got. It doesn't matter how many books we've read. It doesn't matter how often we come to church. The Christian life is hazardous. Every day, it's hazardous. So we need to take care and caution. That's why we need to look out for one another. But they know that this mountain is hazardous. I'm finishing soon. I'll finish off next week. I will start preaching on the text, yeah? 
and they make a decision at the bottom of the mountain. And we're making decisions daily about our Christian walk. And going higher to God. Going higher in God. Getting ready for heaven. On our march to heaven. So we're not taken by surprise when it happens. There's a decision. I am ready for this pilgrimage. Count me in. They wouldn't have gone up the mountain unless they made a decision. Collectively, we're going. Number two, I really do need God's help. My mate can help me. My aunt and uncle might help me. My kids might help me. But above everything, I need God's help. Number three, this terrain is treacherous. The valleys go deep. Anything could happen at that mountain, but I'm still going. Risk assessment, they were taken, but still going. Talent and gifting will not get you up the mountain. It's determination and relationship. You actually do want to go to the Jerusalem. They're going to be exposed every night to wild animals, thieves and robbers in those hills. They better watch out. It's going to happen. It does happen. People get robbed there. They're traveling in the high sun where there's no shade. How are they going to manage that? The moon, they believed, when the moon at night shone on them, it would drive them insane. They become lunatic. Lunar. That's where it comes from. In the hills and the mountains, there were pagan shrines, cults, religions. They were vulnerable. If you wanted to stop, it could get sucked into them very easily. They had to face discouragement. This was, listen to this, this was not going to be smooth, easy, or stylish. My Christian life so far, like my married life, has not been smooth, easy, or stylish. It's been every day learning and committing and submitting. I go to the hills. I lift my eyes to the mountains. That's my view. And where does my help come from? The decision is this. It's not going to come from the mountains. It's not going to come from the people up there. It's actually not necessarily going to come from Jerusalem. Nor is it going to come from the temple in Jerusalem. My true help is going to come from the maker of heaven and earth. He's the definite, he's the absolute, he's beyond everything. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He's the designer and the creator. And he just happens to be your God, your Lord, your Christ. He will not let your foot slip. There's a promise. He will not let your foot slip. Why? Because you're on the journey and you're walking with the living God. It says in the Bible, his feet are like burnished bronze, immovable, steadfast and strong. While I am walking with him, I will not twist my ankle. And twisting your ankle means that you can't go on the walk. There was nothing that will stop you in this life or I from being on the pilgrimage to heaven.
He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will neither slumber nor will he sleep. Now, just occasionally, we have our um, grandchildren sleeping with us. Now, generally, I'm very passive, very relaxed. I'm okay about everything, but when they come to stay overnight, my grandchildren, my little grandchildren, we put them to bed at night in their separate bedrooms and read them a little story and a little prayer, and they go to sleep, if we're fortunate. And I go in, just as I'm going upstairs to bed myself later, and I open the doors and have a look at their little faces. And they are angels. These demons become angels. All in a moment. And I love them. And if I can, I'll bend over and I'll give them a little kiss. Just before I get into bed and go to sleep. But I don't just get into bed and go to sleep. Because now I'm the caretaker and I'm in charge. So... I put a light on the landing on, a little night light, so that if they wake up and they're distressed, they can find a way to Gandhi. They're not going to fall down the stairs. They're going to be safe. And I leave my bedroom door ajar. Normally, I close it firmly, but I leave it ajar so that they can look in and see that Annie and Gandhi are fast asleep and they're going to be safe. And that's it. Night light on, children are asleep, suit to bed, I'll go to bed, she's log out, fast asleep, gone. Fast asleep, gone. Never wait. I've never known anybody sleep as deep. Me, I can't sleep, because I'm in charge. Isn't that, we've got grandkids off, but you've got to sleep. I, very shallow, because I'm waiting, every movement... Every snuffle, everything, I am listening out for it. Until early hours of the morning. And in early hours of the morning, I am shattered. When they jump out of bed, all refreshed and run into the bedroom and jump all over us. And I just want to go to sleep. Now, if I am like that with my children, my grandchildren, that I'm looking after just for a few hours in the night when they're fast asleep, my God, my Saviour, who I'm committed to and has committed himself to me, will never slumber, he won't sleep, he's watching over me day and night, right now. My going out and my coming in, no matter where I am, what I'm doing, he will not leave me, he won't forsake me, he's my protector. And moreover, he will be the shield on my right hand, it says. Now the shield on the right hand is really important because it's, it's to do with Roman soldiers. And when they go to war... Their shield is on the left hand. And in their right, they've got the sword. And they're going to battle. Which is the side that's most dangerous, most exposed? Their right side, the one with the sword. Because they've got the shield there. So they can be stabbed there. They can be attacked at this side. They can't bat it away. The Bible says, you've got your shield on your left. But I am going to be your spiritual shield on your right. Nothing will get past me. Nothing 
will harm you. Nothing that you cannot cope. Now, I walk the same road as everybody else. My feet on the same tarmac as everybody else. I have the same temptations. I have the same distresses. I have the same difficulties. As we all have. But walk in this. There's a new sense of security. Because I'm the same as everybody else, but I'm not the same as everybody else in my destination. And he has promised that he who has begun a good work will finish that good work in me. I'm safe for life, and I'm safe for eternity and heaven. I'm safe for it. And the sun will not blind you in the day. I'll finish up with this, because I've talked a long time. I'm just getting warm now. I, uh, I ride a motorbike, as you know, sometimes. Something happened to me a few months ago, I was coming back from Froome, and coming back over the Mendips. And it was an evening, and the sun was setting. And I think I'm by myself. I don't think there's anybody else with me. And I'm coming around these corners on this country road, when all of a sudden I lifted this hill, and the corner was on the top of the hill, on this quiet country road. And all of a sudden I lifted up, the, the sun hit me in the face. Now on a motorbike, it's not like a car. When the sun hits you, you're blinded. And I got sunglasses on, still blinded. I got a visor that's tinted, still blinded. I couldn't see one thing. I didn't know that I was going to go over and hit the bushes, go over a wall, into the trees, or whether I was the wrong side of the road or the right side of the road or something was going to hit me. And all I did was just hold on tight and just hope. As they're going over that mountain, some days the sun would be blinding and they'd lose sight for a moment. But when you've lost sight for a moment, God has still got his sight on you. It will not blind you spiritually. It might blind you physically for a moment. You might come through a hard moment. But you will not be blinded spiritually. You're still on your journey to heaven. <laughs>